Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kim Barrett Show. I am your host, Kim Barrett. And on today's episode, we are joined by Ben from Message Labs. Now, Ben is a gun when it comes to content marketing, but also helping break down that customers are actually people too. Shock horror. So if you're just putting out messages all the time when it comes to your content that are specifically about maybe just yourself, just your items and products, just your brand and you, maybe you need to rethink that. So that's what we dive into today with Ben. And of course, if you've got content covered and you really want to push out there and accelerate your marketing and advertising, we have got you covered. Head over to marketingmogul.com.au where we can help you with all those avenues as well. But until then, let's jump into the show. Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you making the time. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. And I always like to start the podcast off the same way every time, which is if you and I met at a party and we were chatting and I said, Ben, what is it that you actually do? What's your go-to answer? The, the thing that I'm auditioning now is I think I'm trying to lead the movement to get people to think and recognize that customers are people too. Um, and, and, and here's what I mean. So we're a content marketing agency. We make things that hopefully people find interesting, they engage, and hopefully that leads them to spend more time buying things and interacting with your company. Our mission, though, is broader than that. And we have a particular point of view. I, we look at the world and we just see that companies are just communicating poorly, uh, that they tend to talk about their products. They tend to talk about their brand when they're not talking about their products, which is kind of like another way of just talking about yourself. And, and if you think about it, you know, the people that you're trying to reach, you know, there's a point in time where they want to buy something and they want information about your product, but they're that customer, they're that person who wants to buy something for just like a small percentage of their life. Most of the time, there's someone who has a broad set of problems that they're trying to figure out how to solve that may or may not involve a product, or they're, uh, you know, people who have hobbies or interests or things that they care about in the world that they want to know more about, or that they want to spend time being entertained by. And when we take this narrow view of thinking only about the people that you're trying to reach, that you're trying to sell to as customers, you're only thinking about 10% maybe of the points in time when you have an opportunity to interact with them, the times when they're in the buying headspace. And if you think more broadly, and you think of them as, you know, customers or people too, it opens up all these different ways that you can potentially have a meaningful interaction with them, you know, that you can have a conversation with them about something that they might care about, uh, that you can, you know, do something that's valuable to them, uh, that they appreciate that makes them feel something about you. And in our goal as an agency, as a content marketing agency, is to work with our clients to help identify what are these moments, what are the kinds of conversations that you can have with people outside the world of sales conversation, these non-sales moments. And then how do you how do you make the things that can that people can enjoy interacting with or get value out of? And then lastly, how do you figure out as an organization, if you're going to spend money to make all this non-sales content stuff that doesn't sell a product, like what is it doing for you? How is it helping you? Because it sounds really cool to think about people as people and to make things that they're going to find interesting. But at the end of the day, as a business, you have to make sure that it's you know helping your business as well. So how do you do that too? 
Yeah, I think that's uh, that, that's amazing, and it's probably something that is, I think, still hard for business owners to grasp onto. Even though you've had guys like Gary V, like you know, championing and pushing, mm-hmm. saying people should be doing it for years, and then I still like for for me, one of the hindrances, and I would love to know what your viewpoint is on why people don't do it. But I, I still people, I still see people saying, "Oh, but if I do that, it's it's not professional." It's, it's not professional. It's like, so what, only, only selling is professional? I don't know. Like, what's your viewpoint on that side of things? Yeah, it, it's funny because I think in the world of sales, you know, a one-to-one interaction where, you know, if I'm a salesperson and I'm calling you up and we're having an interaction or we are meeting at a party, I have a range of conversations you know, that I can have with you. And I think the best salespeople are able to identify very quickly whether you want to buy or whether you don't want to buy. And then they have a really good interaction with you if you don't want to buy, you know, and you end up thinking like, oh, that Ben, he's a fun guy to talk to. I got to invite him to my next party. And, and yet in the world of marketing, we don't have a developed playbook for what do we do if you're that salesperson and it's not landing at that sales moment. We just throw so much, you know, it's one to many, right? So we just make all of these different assets that are all somewhat salesy, you know, and we throw them out into the world and it's like, oh, it's surely someone is going to swim in, some fish is going to swim into our net of sales collateral out there. And and we're not thinking about, we don't have a one-to-many version of the playbook of that really skillful salesperson at the party who knows how to have a conversation with somebody about something other than the product. So, you know, I think that's sort of the first thing that we're trying to do is to broaden our awareness of what it is. And it's tough. You know, the, the world of marketing has become increasingly measurable, as you know, and your audience knows. And, you know, when you're trying to spend marketing dollars, you know, you can just throw coupons into Facebook, target them at people and see how many people click on the thing that says 10% off your next purchase. And you can probably come out with a calculation that says, you know, we spent $1 million on 10% off coupons and we got $2 million worth of revenue in clicks. And, and, and then we we're coming in and we're saying like, yeah, you know what? Let's not sell something. Let's write a really cool article or produce a really cool video that someone is going to be entertained by, <laughs> you know? And, and that's like, all right, that's different. You know, that's a different, that's a different playbook. And so I, for us, then it becomes, okay, well, what's its purpose? What's its job? How do you, how do you level the playing field with those folks who are producing those, um, you know, Facebook advertisements? It's that you can have a, you know, you can go into the same meeting with the CEO, present your strategy and not get, you know, fired, you know, within a couple of minutes. Yeah, because that's the thing is like, obviously, you know, we, we do Facebook ads, we teach people Facebook ads, but I'm a big believer in, in content as well. Usually, hence, I'm doing a podcast, right? Mm. It's, uh, it's, it's you know, right. To, to, get it, to get everything out there. But like, yeah, how do you, like, what's your approach to people? Because a lot of people just go, yeah, but but what's my ROI going to be? Or like, you know, what's, what's, what's the return on it? And it is, I mean, obviously there are still metrics you can track being that things are online, but what's your, like, if someone says that to you normally, like what's the, what's the response? Or like, how do you kind of uh, reposition that for them and get them to think a little bit differently about it? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it is a great question. And we've literally had that question, you know, how is this going to increase our sales? And, and the real honest answer is we don't know. But what we can do is we can show you how to have a, we can begin to demonstrate over time the impact that it's having on your sales. And we can put in place the mechanisms 
to continuously improve those results. So here, here's what I mean, if I can elaborate a little bit. This is, this is part of what we believe in Message Lab, which is that something, just because something is hard to measure, it doesn't mean it's impossible to measure, it just means it's hard. And if you know what you're looking for, and if you can, re- and if you can hone in on what's important, then, then, it, then it sort of becomes easier. And, and also, you know, so for us, when we're making content, so, you know, we might write our, our job is, you know, we're former journalists. I was a reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, and, you know, my colleagues were at the New York Times, places like that. And, and our design team comes from similar, you know, backgrounds. We try to make things that are going to engage people and entertain them and draw them in. What we don't do, what we try not to do is have a CTA that then says, buy now at the bottom. Uh, you know, most of the things that we're trying to sell for our clients don't work that way. You know, if we have a big software company that we're working for, we might have a cool article that's about, you know, how people are redesigning offices for hybrid work. And then we're not going to, like, no one in their right mind is going to put a link at the bottom that says buy a million dollars worth of software, right? <laughs> um, and so, but what we want to show is, does someone spend time with that article to find it valuable? Did they, did they spend a few minutes reading it? Did they scroll to the bottom? And then what we want to know is, did that person who spent time with it, did they come back and did they read something else? And then did they come back a third time, fourth time? Did they join an email newsletter? That kind of thing. And, and then we want to understand people who had, this is a, at a cohort level, so not, not the individual, but backing it up a little bit. Did people who interact with our content three times or more go on to buy something? Or become a qualified lead, and what we have found is that that the more times people interact with our with our content, the more likely they are to either buy or become a lead. And we also have found that people who engage with our content are more likely than people who haven't to become a customer or go on to become a lead. Now, that doesn't necessarily prove that Ben reading the article is the thing that contributed to the sale uh, versus Ben having that conversation with the amazing sales guy, but if you step back and you look across thousands of people, it, you know, it becomes pretty compelling data, you know, Oh my goodness, you know, four times as many people, the people who, who read our content are four times as likely as people who haven't to become a lead. All right. You got my attention. And what that does is it sort of breaks time and space. It allows us to focus on, you know, to, to make content to do the job that it's supposed to do, which is capture attention in a moment where you want your atten- want to spend attention with something and and then worry about the sale later you know when you're at a time when you want to buy so that's sort of the way that we think about measuring and showing the impact of what we do and i'm uh, i have a very similar viewpoint to you where it's like i look at almost like content i kind of consider to be like accounting where it's like you can only measure it after you've done it you can't really mm-hmm. measure it before you go oh cool this financial year like what was our profit like how did everything go and you break it all down and you look back and you can measure it uh, versus direct response, which is what we do, it's almost like the bank account where it's like, cool, like today we spent this, we made this. It's like the the immediate kind of cash on hand and the rest is like post homeless, like after it's all happened, looking back. Because I know we we did our first podcast, um, different uh, brand and, and subject matter, um, still on business. And we did like 100 episodes, never had really any leads coming from it or anything like that. And then I um, created a new offering and a guy came to me. I put it out to the database. He's like, oh, I listened to every episode of your podcast three times. He's like, I listened to like all the episodes three times. And I was like, man. And he's like, basically like whatever it costs, I'm in. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, but at the time I was like, I was like, we're getting like 
20 views probably at 19 of yeah. my family and staff uh, and uh, one was just this guy that's listening in but you could never measure that at the start of it you can't like oh I'm going to create this many episodes and get this many people it's, it's only um, analysis after but I would have to say like without you know without even second guessing like content has been a huge part of, of uh, our growth over time yeah and you know and if we're doing our job well as the content part of it you know we're like top of top of funnel we're like really early on you know we're and to the point where again we're not even trying i mean yeah we are because we're putting in opportunities to guide down a funnel but it's not our expectation or our primary job to move you down the funnel we're just trying to have a point in time now you layer in direct response and you know what we would expect to see is that people who had had who had responded well to our ideas or content are sort of you know again in aggregate more likely to be a better performing cohort of the people in the direct response because like when you're sending out a direct response campaign you know hopefully you're you're sort of identifying okay who's responding who's not responding what are the characteristics of them? there's some targeting going on there you know the other thing that we try to do with our content is because we are watching all of these metrics along the way both in terms of what's engaging people and what's not engaging people what's causing people to click what's not causing people to click what are the characteristics of the people who are going on to become customers versus the characteristics of people who aren't you know it's like you know if everybody who's coming through search is becoming a customer and no one who's coming through social is becoming a customer that's interesting you know or if people are responding to idea a but not responding at all to idea b like that's helpful information like do more of idea a <laughs> you know target more of the people who are coming through search you know um and try something else that different from what you're doing now for for the other stuff and and what we believe is that by testing and learning and committing to a program of just like you know incremental gains and continuous optimization optimization we can take whatever the baseline is and we can steadily improve the baseline over time and so when we do hit people you know we do we do try to move people into the sales moments the performances can get better and better and better and better yeah no, i absolutely love that and um it's for me, it's like there's a great book on advertising that I read, which is um, Eugene Schwartz Breakthrough Advertising. And it's five stages mm-hmm. of awareness. And a lot of people always ask me, they're like, oh, it's very easy to create direct response campaigns for like stages two, three, four, five. How, um, and, but no one can ever do one for stage one, which is all the unaware. People are unaware of the problem that you can solve for them. And that's, that's mm-hmm. perfectly where content, like what you're talking about, slots in. And it's uh, then you can kind of have all ends of the spectrum covered versus maybe one or two. So the the next question I have is like when someone's looking at this based on like if they're a small business starting, is there a time when, because a lot of times they're like, oh, I just want to get like business in the door and maybe I don't have time for the content. Like when's a good point in time for them to start looking at content and start, you know, speaking to someone like you guys to to really start to get the ball rolling to build that momentum? Yeah, that's another good question. I would say I'll answer this specifically when they should talk to someone like us, but I think you have to have some sort of presence in the world. Uh, my belief is that people don't people don't just shop for a product. You know, you you shop for you have to understand it a little bit. If it's an impulse buy, if it's a two dollar item, sure, maybe you'll just click in and try it. And if it doesn't work, you know, two dollars. But you know, anything that's a sort of considered purchase, you know, you want to do some research. And and I, and that means that I think it behooves whoever it is who's putting forth the product or the service to help that research. If you're just getting started, 
in all likelihood, the people who are going to find you are the people who most want to have your product. And there's and there's probably easier things that you can do. Some of it is just explaining on your own website, probably what it is you're doing, why you're doing it, you know, um, how it's best utilized, what's your competitive differentiation. Now, some of this is the stuff that your website is already doing in a sort of sales and marketing. But if you just have a couple of tentpole pieces that you can produce yourself, you know, that, that, that explain, you know, hey, here's additional information that's going to help guide you towards deciding that my version of the widget is the right widget for you. Beyond that, one of the things that we see at a company level when you have, you know, when you're scaling and growing is that early on, you're selling to the people who are going to use your product. And that there's a different playbook for that, where you might want to do a lot of search. Uh, where you where you create pieces that are designed to show up in search. How do I do? And then in you and there's and there's techniques. You know you know this, but there's like different techniques that you would follow if you're trying to create something that's going to perform well in search. Then if you're going to try to create something that's going to go perform really well in social, as an example, a you know well organized. How do I fix my refrigerator? It's not going to be the most compelling Instagram post, right? But like, you know, but then like um, how to take beautiful ocean photography, it's going to do pretty well. That could do well on Instagram, you know? So you just have to be thoughtful about where your audience is, how you're trying to reach them, and then build things that are designed to do that. Where where we oftentimes come into play, and this is, you know, probably more of a B2B setting, but it also, there's there's consumer dynamics where you have more complex selling cycles is how do you influence the conversation, but don't talk to the people who are actually going to make the purchase? So how do you talk to the people who are most influential in the buying cycle? So in the case of a B2B example, you know, you make a widget, but what you really need is the CEO of the customer, not the head widget maker or whatever it is, right? The head widget installer to sort of be on board. You know, the, you know, you sell an air conditioner, but you want to talk to the CEO, not the, or the COO, but not the head of facilities. What can you talk about that that person is going to find interesting? Because that person isn't going to be looking at a spec sheet for air conditioners. That person is going to be interested in what's your point of view about climate change? What's your point of view about renewable energy? What are, what are things that they need to know about uh, operations, you know, and that type of thing. One of the things we work with clients a lot on, we have a lot of tech companies in the US and oftentimes, you know, they have sold to a developer or some IT manager type person and they want to now reach um, heads of HR or CEOs or, or CIOs, chief information officers. And they and those people don't care about speeds and fees. They don't care about, you know, how fast your software goes or what kind of code is written. And they care about how do I transform my business? How do I, you know, get a different kind of outcomes? And so you have to pivot at that point and talk about different kinds of things that that audience is going to care about, you know, which is another, uh, you know, another way of thinking. You have to sort of think outside the product of those conversations. And um, at, the, at the time of recording this, Facebook's just announced its change to add-on the metaverse changed its name to Meta. There's AR, VR coming. Like as someone who produces content for written video, audio, whatever, whatever avenues, how do you see things like this coming in affecting the way content is created and, and distributed? I think there's always going to be new ways to consume content. There's always going to be new ways to engage with content, new ideas, new ways to engage with ideas and have experiences. I think one of the things that we are keen on is 
creating experiences, content experiences, and not just writing an article and having the wall of copy, you know, beyond beyond the web. We AR and VR for us and what we do specifically is sort of, you know, I don't way. know if it's yeah. a long <laughs> way away. Maybe maybe years. It's going to be faster than we know, probably. You know, we aren't yet actively having conversations about how do we play there. It's not. We tend to be drawn to where more people are, and right now more people are elsewhere. But that said, you know, I think I think as a content creator, you have to be format agnostic, platform agnostic, and in a, in it and in terms of how can a story come to life. And I think you know, and yes, within that, you as a agency can have a specialization, but a content program, as opposed to as individual content asset, has to be able to be broader. If I'm trying to bring more people into my world of ideas through content. I, you know, I have to have a range of content types and I have to have my content in a range of places and I have to do, you know, I have to have a range of different plays that I run. Basically, it's like, you know, you can't just be a, I'm going to use an American football analogy, so excuse me, but you can't just hand it off to the running back and have them run up the middle every single time. Eventually the defense figures it out and, you know, and it doesn't work anymore. You have to mix it up. And I think that's one of the things that we encourage our clients to do. Now, as we get towards the end of our time here together, I always like to ask the same question at the end of the podcast as well, which is, is there a question that I haven't asked you that I should have? Yeah. Do you want me to ask the question rhetorically and or should I, I just, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it, I'll just riff on what I was saying, which is this notion of content experiences. But, but I think maybe the question is, on the surface of it, the world doesn't need any more content. We as people are bombarded by content and much of it isn't helpful, useful. There's so much, so there's so much noise. How do you as a brand become the signal? Like how do you how do you do something that rises above the noise and actually gets someone's attention or even deserves their attention? And, and that's a question that we wrestle with a lot. Because 10 years ago, if you just read some blog posts, that was cool. You were ahead of the game. And now everybody has blog blog posts. And it has a, so I think we believe that increasingly, you know, in crowded fields, you have to be really purposeful and intentional about making sure you know what your audience wants. Where can you add value? What can you be talking about that's valuable to your audience? But also finding out what you're going to put, where the white space is. What, what is the unmet need in addition to the need that they have? So a little bit more narrow than that. And then, and then in terms of being a maker and a creator, differentiating yourself based on the kind of experience that you're creating. So not just what you're saying, but how you're saying it. And usually variety is, is part of the thing that's going to you know, propel that forward. Uh, so having a podcast and a video and an article um, making sure that the article is designed well and easy to read. One of the things that we see is that, you know, about half of people in general will like, will leave a page where they've read a word, you know, they're not making, they're making a stay or go decision, not based on that article that you and your 10 colleagues all worked breathlessly on trying to, to create, but they're looking at the wrapper that you put it in. Are there graphics? Are there cool images? Is the blog UX good or is it not good? And so you're potentially losing half of the people who show up. They're not even engaging with the idea. They're not even giving the idea a chance. And so being thoughtful about that part of the experience, you know, is another thing that I think people aren't doing enough of and could could really, you know, it's an it's a great way to like completely just jack up your stats by some huge percentage is just take the same content you're doing now and making it more consumable. 
Yeah, I think that's that's hugely powerful. I love that. Great, great question and answer. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now, for anyone that's listening and they're like, I really want to find more about like what Ben's up to. Where's the best place for them to connect with you online and see more about what you guys are up to? Yeah, so you can find us at messagelab.com. And there's, you know, any piece of information you could ever want about the company there. Also, you can contact us there. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn if you just type Ben Worthen into the search function in LinkedIn, I'll pop up. Amazing. So guys, wherever you're watching or listening to this, check above or below. We'll have all the show notes there with all the links uh, to Ben and his company. So you can go and check out what he's about. And then if you know someone who maybe has been holding back, maybe they're one of those people who's producing some old school content and just walls of text, uh, please share this episode with them so they can hear some of Ben's insights and uh, hopefully they can fix that and start getting even better results with their content marketing. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate you making the time. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.